I would, you know, be in class and it was, it was embarrassing. Like I was like, why, like, why aren't, why aren't you pitching? Like, why aren't you out there? And like, it was an embarrassing thing. And I guess I never really thought of like the photography stuff as like a identity. So the fact that I was doing it and people before I even noticed it were like, dude, this is cool. Like your stuff is so cool. Really turned into me being like, maybe this is cool. And like, I like doing that more than I cared about baseball. Welcome back to another episode of the No More Zero Days podcast. Today's episode is featuring Wales Tony. He is the founder and CEO of Whaletail Media, a full-service media company making waves since 2018. We talk about his life story of overcoming the reality of life after a traumatic baseball industry as a collegiate athlete, to how he ended up picking up a camera and becoming of who he is today. If you're in the filmmaking industry or just really interested in learning more about content creation and media in the music industry and beyond, this episode is guaranteed to hold your attention and give you so much value. Episode 33 begins now. One of my favorite questions to ask other filmmakers, because I feel like there's so much similarity in so many of our stories, yet they're so, so different. But tell me about the first time you ever picked up a camera. What was that like? Okay, so this is going to sound crazy, but like Wells Tony as the videographer, photographer goes way back, actually. Um, My dad... Somehow, I don't know how he got into it, but he he's a college communications professor, public speaking, exactly, and back in South Carolina. And his hobby was making YouTube videos for his relic hunting, for like metal detecting. And he had like a HD camcorder back in the day, like probably shot like 640 by, you know, the, the old school, whatever. And I was probably, you know, 12 years old at the time, really caught interest into what he was doing. So I like... I was like, oh, I want to make a YouTube video, right? So the first video I ever made was like a trick shot basketball video that I made on my dad's camcorder that we edited on, I don't know if it was like Movie Maker or, I don't even think iMovie was a thing. Like it was a back in the day and um, that was the start. Um, obviously, you know, that wasn't any serious thing, but that's that's definitely the first uh, um, experience I ever had with, with a camera. That is absolutely amazing. By far one of the best And I stories. made sure to delete all those videos because <laughs> I would be so embarrassed if anyone uh, ever caught those out, out in public again. Which is funny, but it's like in today's Instagram culture, like if you posted that, it'd probably go viral. Or it would yeah, do really I know, well. Right? I need to actually maybe try to go find those. Now, on TikTok, it's like from from where, where we started and where we are now. Oh, that'd be kind of cool. Tell me about that journey for you that you went on from going... And just simply being interested in cameras to picking it up, you just shared picking up the camera for the first time, to then kind of deciding you wanted to build a real business around that. Take me through that. 100%. So like, you know, that was more just kind of like for fun thing. And then on, I guess I always knew that I was creative in a sense. Like I love to draw. I love to, you know, art class was always very intriguing to me. I never really knew how to channel that. I just knew I was creative, right? Um, so fast forward into high school and, and also it was kind of overshadowed by baseball. I was always a big baseball player. That was kind of my thing. I actually went on to play baseball in college. I'll probably get into that too. But, um, what happened is I, I actually got into high school and I took a, I thought it was going to be just an easy class cause I just didn't want to take, you know, hard classes, but there was a video broadcast class. And, um, basically what we did is we made the morning news show, we would produce it, we, you know, do the, the weather, the sports, we would do segments on things that were going on in our high school. I took really, you know, I kind of really just got into it from there. I started editing, learning how to edit on Final Cut and, 
that was kind of my first introduction to, you know, making, doing videography or, you know, production on a, on a more of a advanced level. Still never really like put two and two together. I never did anything for myself. It was all just for the class. Like I just really enjoyed it. Never thought much of it. And everyone kind of kept asking me like, Hey, like you should keep doing this. Like you should do this in college. And I don't know. I, I guess, you know, my mom and dad or maybe my ear talking about, you know, you, you should probably, you know, do like a you know business degree or something. So I was like, you're right. Like I'm going to play baseball, like, you know, do that, get a business degree. So fast forward to college, I was doing that whole thing and, um, put, never picked up a camera. Like, I didn't even own a camera. So I wasn't even doing anything for probably for like three years. And then I started, this is when Instagram was really kind of like picking up. Like people were starting to put a lot of pictures on Instagram. I was starting to follow a lot of photographers and really had a lot of ideas that were sparked from just like nature photography or whatever. So I would just go out, you know, on hikes and back in South Carolina with my phone and just start taking pictures on my, on my iPhone. And I, I actually edited my photos on my iPhone on Lightroom because I had Clemson offered Lightroom to to edit your stuff for free and i just i would always like dm all these photographers like you know back in north carolina or wherever like yeah like what do you take pictures on like what do you edit on like and so i was just collecting all this information while i'm just doing it with what i had that's why i i'm kind of getting off topic like people ask me a lot of times like what do you shoot on like you know what do you edit on and i'll tell them but i'm like dude like the most important thing is just use what you have like i would literally started with my my phone and that's how i started getting traction and then obviously I knew by the time you know I graduated from college when I wanted to buy an actual camera I knew what I wanted because I asked so many people I saw so many things and I knew what look I wanted and I guess that's just having a creative eye you kind of know what your style would want to be of course my style has changed 15 million times ever since I started doing it but that's kind of where I started after that um you know graduated college business degree actually back up a little bit so I got hurt playing baseball after my sophomore year tore my labrum ultimately ended my career never was gonna play again was in a very very depressed and you know dark place honestly and I feel like that's what sparked me really diving into the photography stuff and, and the creative side of things it was just an outlet for me and that's why like you know you hear artists all the time like you know songwriters photographers whatever like whenever they're going through a lot of stuff that's when they're sparked with the most stuff and like I can personally say I've been through that and I know that's a real thing so like that kind of made me want to just stretch the boundaries of you know getting better and, and and starting to you know learn more about what I could do and express my feelings through art not just through you know what I was doing so that was kind of my outlet you know, ended up graduating, got a, got a sales job out of college. You know, I was just not, nothing to do with it. So I started, you know, I ended up getting a camera, a Canon 70D was my first camera I ever bought. I started making some like YouTube videos, not YouTube, Instagram videos of just like, this is back when like they had 15 second videos too. (laughs) Like, so you had to fit everything you could into 15 seconds. So like, I would just do like you know, one second clips of just like, I don't know, just dumb stuff looking back at it. But like, it was just cool. And I really wanted just to put it out there. And I, that probably happened for about a year. And then I guess I start people started kind of recognizing that I was doing it. And I finally had someone ask me to shoot a wedding for them. And they were like, Hey, like, we don't really have a budget for a wedding videographer. 
Um, you know, if you, you know, we, we just want you to come have, it was, a, it was a friend. We just want you to come have fun. And, you know, if you don't get anything all day and you can't even make a video, like no harm, no foul, like there's no pressure. But if you do something great, like, you know, we really think that this could propel you into doing more stuff. And I'm like, deep down, I, did, I just didn't want to do it. I like, I never even wanted to get into videography because I was like, there's no money in this. Like, this is such a tough job. Like, you know, you always hear the, the bad, bad rap about like freelance videographers or photographers. Like, it's just a rabbit hole. It's just a dark hole. And um, so finally, I, I agreed to do it. And this is why I was still working my full time job. And then after I did that one wedding, it just, you know, the power of social media, people started sharing that. Oh, who shot your video? And then word of mouth took over. And then from there, um, it kind of like just steadily just kept growing, get more inquiries. Weddings was really the true, like, you know, Kickstarter to my business. And then that happened for a whole year. The first one was like in January. And by December of that same year, I was, I went full time with it. So, I mean, it happened super, super quick. Baseball is such an interesting sport to me because I feel like there's such a greater opportunity to kind of more easily continue to go to simply the next level towards chasing that ultimate goal. Cause I feel like other popular sports, be it basketball, be it football. I mean, I know basketball has like G league, but basketball and football, it's kind of, it feels a lot like this all or nothing mentality. Meaning it's like you go to high school or you go to college and then do you go pro or not? Do you get drafted to go pro? Whereas baseball, there's all these other kind of layers underneath it in single A, double A, triple A. A lot of people get drafted out of high school. A lot of people get drafted out of college. And no one rarely ever goes straight from high school, college to the to the professionals. So the sense that that funnel or that opportunity to kind of just take simply take that next step towards the ultimate goal of being a professional MLB player uh, feels a lot more realistic than some other sports. So what was it like having your whole identity as this collegiate baseball player who is extremely talented, who feels like they continually are getting closer and closer, you know, each season that would go by to taking that next step in your career, all of a sudden having that ripped away unexpectedly? Yeah, I mean, you're right. It was, that was my identity. Like that, that's all I knew. That's all who I thought I was. Um, and I guess it's a little bit tougher too, because, you know, not to like toot my own horn or anything, but like I was a highly recruited prospect out of, out of high school. I actually turned down like a some like draft offers out of high school to go to college. So like I basically had the opportunity to do it already. So for me, it was like giving that up was just like I don't, it was gut wrenching. Like that was that was my whole dream. Like I was so passionate about it. I worked so hard, um, you know. And then to have it all just kind of like dwindle in a couple of years it was it was just a tough it was something died like it, it was really tough like part of me died through that and um you know luckily I had a you know I don't want to say like art and like all that saved my life but in a way I feel like it really did because it gave me a new passion it gave me something to work towards I never envisioned it would turn into what it is today but I also you know fully believe the reason why it is turning into today because I was able to truly, you know, pursue it in a, in a passion, not for a career. You know what I'm saying? So like, I feel like through my art, it's just, I show my passion first and then I've just, you know, a lot of things have fallen into place to create it into a, you know, a career. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I have to ask you, did you ever struggle with going from being this collegiate baseball player to kind of being the it guy probably in your friend group or in the classroom to, now telling people that, hey, I'm injured, but I, I hold a camera for a living or my identity is kind of wrapped up into content creation. 
Um, because I know there were moments in my life early on where it wasn't that I was ashamed of it. I wasn't ashamed of saying, hey, I'm a photographer, I'm a videographer, I'm a whatever. But it was sometimes difficult when explaining it to others to kind of get them excited about or to have a follow-up question of like, ooh, tell me more of that, you know, uh, of what I was aspiring to do with my life because I wasn't talking about being a doctor. I didn't want to be a lawyer or an accountant or some of these fancy things that, you know, so many of our peers were uh, constantly aspiring to be or, you know, were impressed by if you could bring out that story of, ooh, this is what I'm pursuing with my life in college. So I, I vividly remember being at like a bar in college and you'd be talking to a girl for the first time and she'd ask you, oh, you know, what's your major and what do you want to do after college? And I'd be like, well, my major is entrepreneurship and it hadn't quite hit kind of the Shark Tank craziness. It had a little bit back then. So people kind of knew what the word entrepreneurship was. So at least peak a little bit of interest. But then I would say, but I have this really big passion for bringing things to life with a camera. And then they'd all of a sudden tell me, oh, I, you know, I forgot. I, I have to go find my friend or, oh, they're in the bathroom. It was nice talking to you. I, I guess, I mean, first off, like with the baseball stuff kind of like falling, like I would, you know, be in class and it was, it was embarrassing. Like I was like, why, like, why aren't, why aren't you pitching? Like, why aren't you out there? And like, it was an embarrassing thing. And I guess I never really thought of like the photography stuff as like a identity so the fact that i was doing it and people before i even noticed it were like dude this is cool like your stuff is so cool how do you do this and people were like just really attached attaching onto that i guess it kind of really turned into me being like maybe this is cool and like i guess like fast forward i quickly realized that like i liked doing that more than i cared about baseball like it, it was weird so I guess I just never made it a embarrassing thing. So I was just like, hey, like this is this is cool. And so people believed it was cool, you know? Were there any lessons you took from baseball into what you do now? Because I feel like baseball is is truly really one of the perfect metaphors for starting a business in the sense that you have to understand that you're not going to be perfect every single time. You're not going to win every single game or every single business opportunity or things that are going to help you grow and scale as a business. But instead, I feel like sometimes it's like striving to have more W's in the win column than L's in the loss column. And I know that sounds kind of cheesy, but I feel like sometimes we're all constantly aspiring to live our life with kind of this undefeated, like, I'm a perfect 10-0 record and everything I've aspired to do and everything, you know, every new project I've taken on, it's just been perfect and it's totally been a W the whole time. But in all reality, I feel like I try to strive to live my life of kind of like, let's be 23 and 15. Like, let's have 23 things that went well and, and won and, and 15 things that realistically probably failed because um, I was just focusing on trying to do new things, try new things, expand in new, new new ways and not having the fear of being like, oh, is this a win or a loss? But truly, like, let's just take the at bat and making sure that we're learning from every instance to make you better. So what were you able to take away, if anything at all, um, from the game of baseball into what you're doing now? Yeah, I mean, baseball is a game game of losses. And like when you start out in this industry, you're you know, it's not going to be top level productions from the get-go so you really can't compare yourself to i mean and i still struggle with the day sometimes and i have to remind myself like you can't sh- like compare yourself to hollywood productions or you know like on this level so like i guess the way i approach it from the baseball background was like hey like each day and this is kind of the motto i live by is like you can either get better or worse or what you do or you just can't stay the same so like my theory was like hey like go learn about how to do something on premiere or whatever. So like I would watch YouTube videos or I would go out and just practice. Like I wasn't doing it for a job or anything. So I would just go out and be like, Hey, I want to try to get this effect or I want to try to get a long exposure waterfall shot. So I would just go try it out 
and that was just kind of the energy that I already had based off, I guess my athletic background was to just try to get better at it. Like, like you said, and then, you know, not compare myself to others, just stay in my own lane, focus on what I can do and be really proud of what my product is and see how far that I can grow. And then the rest will just kind of take care of itself. If you can remember, tell me about the first time you create a piece of music related content. So kind of like kind of stick with the same timeline. So I shot that wedding for the first time in January and I picked up a couple other weddings and like honestly picked up enough weddings. To, and I did look, looking back, I was basically giving away like free work. Like I, I, I was, you know how it is. Like I, you were scared to ask, like, is this okay? And they're like, is that the deposit? And you're like, what, like, what am I doing? Right. So like I made enough money doing weddings to, to basically buy a new camera. So I bought the Sony a 6,300, which is my first like mirrorless camera. And like at the time, like was like a popping camera and like, you know, I thought I was so excited about it. Right. And, um, and I actually used that for so many, like that camera alone is what helped me like create my business right so i had this new camera and i had a buddy that was like a rapper and like back in south carolina and i was like always wanted a music video so i was like dude like i kind of want to shoot a music video like do you want to like be in this video like with one of your songs and he was like yeah dude absolutely so like shout out to goes <laughs> by young squid it's actually it's all on youtube so you can go back and, and and look at it but that was the first thing i ever did and like i said like i I wasn't even like charging them for it. I just wanted to have the portfolio. And I think a lot of like, young creators nowadays kind of, they lose the fact of like, you know, like everything has to be for money. like, sometimes like get out there and create to build your portfolio. Your portfolio sometimes is, is not even sometimes a lot of times is more important than the money you can make from a project. Right. Even today, like sometimes if I feel like it's a good opportunity or something, I might do it for a little less or, or whatever it is because I know that it's going to help me grow my, my business. Right. So I did that. And like, that was just a cool thing to understand how to like edit a music video, whatever. Um, and then like, obviously I don't do any kind of like rap videos really anymore and country's my thing, but fast forward to that fall with Gary and Charlie, which I, I mean, you're you familiar with the guys as well. I just hit up, um, Gary randomly actually on Instagram. And I was like, Hey dude, I, I know you'll have a show coming to Greenville this, this fall do you care if I come like, just like take some pictures and get some video like for free? Like, I don't, I don't even care about getting paid. I just want to add it to my portfolio. Y'all are, you know, an awesome band, blah, blah, blah. And like, surprisingly, I, and it's crazy to see how it's like transformed. But like, I was just shocked that they replied and were like, yeah, dude, like we'd love to have you. And like, I still didn't even believe it was going to actually happen until I got there to the show and like actually got to do it. They never even posted the video I made for them, but you know, it, that was a cool experience. And I, I, you know, obviously it's turned in a lot more, but that was kind of my first couple of experience of shooting a show and then like doing like a music video. Yeah. What was it that specifically sparked your interest into getting in the music industry space? Were you just looking to expand your portfolio? Was it a love for being a consumer of music yourself? Were you just looking for something that you could have a bigger hand in creating content rather than always just kind of reacting to the moment of the bride walking down the aisle and the wedding content. What was it specifically that you feel like caught your attention about holding a camera in the music space? Yeah. Again, I don't, I don't really know if the thought process went through like a lot of this. So I never really thought it out. It just kind of happened. Right. Um, I think the music thing was very intriguing to me personally. I have zero musical talent. I can't sing. I can't play an instrument. Like, 
nothing, right? So for me, I was like, okay, I actually have a way that I could maybe, and I love music. Like I love country music. I love all kinds of music, right? So I was like, this is maybe a, you know, a way for me to integrate the two and I can make an impact on the music industry. So that was kind of why I wanted to get into it. And this is why I still love doing it today. Like obviously the weddings are, you know, financially great and they're, and, and they're, you know, I don't hate doing weddings, but it's like, for me, this is a lot more creative way to express my art with another artist too. I don't know. I feel like it's a lot easier to work with two artists to create a project product um, than just one. So I, I guess that's kind of what intrigued me into, into get into the music stuff. Talk to me about this journey you've been on with Muscadine Bloodline, with Charlie and Gary, who are two extremely talented uh, country music artists that have teamed up to form this powerhouse band called Muscadine Bloodline. And they're really kind of starting to pop off in country music, and I'm really excited for them. But what was it like going from, you know, you started sharing your story by you were making that music video for Young Squid to now working with an artist that is continually getting hundreds of thousands, if not millions you know, on, on views of technically that's your work that you've been able to put together for them in, in their music videos on their YouTube page. Because I feel like from the outside looking in, it seems like you three have really grown a lot more intimate together in the past 12 months in the sense that they're rightfully continuing to trust you with more and more responsibility as it relates to kind of building their brand and bringing their songs to life. And and even on this the latest record that they just put out, you know, I, I remember seeing the piece of content of Gary talking about, you know, we really felt like we needed to create a music video for, you know, every song on this record. So, so tell me about that journey with them. I kind of like, like what I said, like I did, I never even posted that video like I did for their, that show one time. So I was like and I, I mean, obviously enjoyed meeting the guys and like we, we kind of hit it off and everything. But I never thought anything would ever come come of it. Right. And then um, we kind of kept in contact through like Instagram. I would like, you know, comment on their stuff when they put out music, whatever. But it was probably like six months later, randomly, I got hit up by Gary or something. And he was like, dude, would you want to shoot a music video for us? And I, I had maybe shot like a couple more music videos since that one for my boy. Nothing on like the level of what, you know, they were doing at the time. So I was just like, dude, like. Of course, yeah, I, I want to do it, but I was like deep down, like so nervous. I was like, I don't know if I'm qualified, like kind of started doubting myself. But then I was like, you know what? Like they want me to do it. They asked me to do it. So like there's a reason for that. So I kind of just had to be like, hey, like let's just make it happen. And I guess once we get that first one under the belt, you know, that confidence really just started growing. It's with anything. Once you get familiar doing something and confident and we started building that relationship, we started being more, you know, have that relationship of not just hey here's our vid- someone to shoot a video then like no we came more my closer as friends and we have clients closer as colleagues so you know they're like hey we have another song we want to do a video for and and then we we did that you know five more times last year and then hey we need you know blah 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 you, you name it whatever so it kind of just grew into that and then like you said about the record like we're always challenging ourselves to do different stuff. And I think why Musk and I is so successful is they do things differently than the normal artist maybe would, um, you know, and they also have the luxury of doing that because they are an independent artist. But the fact that they've been able to do so much on their own is, it shows like, Hey, like their work ethic is going to be there. Right. So they're like, Hey, we're ready to do this. You know, I'm like, dude, of course, like I said, my work ethics there, like I'm ready to work too. So we were able to really collab on a lot of those projects and just, you know, a lot of times it would be just me, Gary and Charlie just running around making it happen. And, you know, it, it turned out pretty cool to say that we, we did that. So, 
What was it like having to deal with the pressure of not having this big Hollywood-esque budget when you guys came up with a great idea? I don't know whose idea it was, but to light this truck on fire for the Muscadine Bloodline music video and knowing that whatever you were going to capture in that moment, in that take, was 100% going to be the footage you were left with for the official music video. Because normally on a big production, you know, you'd have this handful of clones, or three or four at least, of the exact same truck, the exact same color, that if things went wrong or they didn't like the ang- you know, the angle or you decide you want to you know, shift to a different lens, you were easily going to be able to swap those trucks out and just start from the top as if nothing had ever happened. But instead, here you are uh, in the middle of the night or whenever you film this, I, I want to hear the story of lighting literally a real-life truck on fire with only one shot to get it right. So you're, you're referencing the, the boys' music video where we set the truck on fire. Okay, so... Obviously, the hardest part about that, why I was stressing is we had one shot of this, right? Like, if we don't get it, you know, it doesn't turn out the way we want it to look. And, like, of course, we hadn't, we hadn't done no testing to know what it would look like. We're like, hopefully it burns good enough to do it or whatever. But, you know, the backstory on that is, like, you know, Gary calls me. And he'll do it a lot of times. He'll call me with, like, a crazy idea for a video. I'll kind of be like, how can, you know, as a director, like, how can we make this really come to life with your vision right so he was like let's just get like an old truck like beat it up maybe set it on fire like you know whatever so i was like okay what's the possibility of us actually being able to do this so i was like let me just call around some like fire fire you know some buddies that are like on like you know fire crews around because i was like i probably have more access to doing it in south carolina which we actually shot it back in greenville south carolina they flew in for the night we shot the whole video in like three hours and like they like flew back home um, and I finally got a hit and one of the guys was like, yeah, like, come on down to the shout out to powders, little fire station. They, they said, come on down, you know, do it in our back parking lot. We'll survey it all, you know, whatever. So I was like, okay, at least we have the clearance to bring a working driving truck to there and set it on fire. I was like, I feel a little bit better about them starting the fire and putting it out. Right. Um, and then as of filming it, I was like, okay, like as soon as we set this thing on fire, like I got to make sure everything's going good. Like lighting is good. Like things are rolling and i mean you know <laughs> i don't know i thankfully it, it worked out i i don't know i you know that was one honestly the most like smoothest shoots i've ever had which is surprising because that could have been the most like you know tragic like fail of a shoot too so i don't know i think we were just very prepared for that one we had a lot of people helping out to make sure everything went smooth and luckily it all worked out and that's still probably my favorite music video i've shot to today the thing I feel like you've done so well that I will absolutely tell you I really admire about your work with Muscadine is you've really helped put a face and attitude to so many of of their songs. And I feel like there's something really special about a filmmaker who can come alongside any musical artist and help shine a light on what they want the listener to experience on a deeper level than kind of simply just them playing their song out in a field. Like you're really putting a story in into the lyrics and you're helping bring it to life and and move the emotions of the viewer and and further kind of deepen that relationship to where the viewer is constantly wanting to listen to the song or they have this emotional connection when now they're coming to the Muscadine show and they're they're watching Gary and Charlie perform. So I, I just feel like in this generation of we're always kind of onto the next piece of content every day, whether it's the next video in the YouTube queue or simply the next post as we're swiping with our thumbs on Instagram in the morning is there's really this desire for telling a story in the right way that's getting lost somewhere that we're kind of valuing 
speed and, and getting content out faster over really telling a quality or putting together really a, a quality music video. You know, I can remember as a kid watching TRL on MTV and always being drawn into these certain songs that had a really neat story regardless of what the genre was. And every time then I would hear that song on the radio, I would immediately be sitting in the car or at home or wherever. And it simply made me like the song even more because now I had this better connection. It wasn't just an artist with lyrics, but I'm like visually having this experience that I remember watching the music video. So I feel like so many artists in kind of 2020, and it was really before that that it really kind of popped off, but a lot of artists in kind of the modern era of any genre have simply turned to doing this kind of lyric video where there's some graphic or there's some kind of texture on screen, and it's just simply the lyrics to the song, and, and that's their video. Do you feel like these kind of lyric videos are as impactful for the song and for the artist as it is doing a music video with a true visual story? Are they the same? Does it matter? Should we be doing a true visual story for every song? Talk to me about kind of your opinion. I, I definitely know what you're saying. I have a couple thoughts, you know, on the on the what you just said. First off, I would say I think in 2020 more music videos were probably released from musical artists than ever. Um, one, because a lot of these guys weren't on the road playing shows, so they had more time than ever to invest into creating music videos. Two, I think the days of the, you know, million dollar music video are, are probably far behind us. You know, like you said, these don't have to be TV quality. I mean, also by the time, I mean, you know, the cameras we show nowadays, like they are TV quality and they're a fraction of the price of these big cinema cameras, right? So it's like, it's a lot more affordable for the artists to have a very high quality production without having to blow their whole entire budget for the year on one video, right? Um that's my first thought. Two, I think a music video does so much for a song, for an artist. It really, it brings it to life, like you said. And it also just allows the viewer to visit, to, to see the artist, right? If you, if you hear the song, it's one thing. But if you can really see the expression and see the story and, and what they're trying to convey to the, to the consumer, that just, I think that just amplifies it so much more. Because like, I mean, you probably can agree, like you will, go watch a music video, like you said, for the Thomas Rhett song or whatever. And next time you listen to the song, you're seeing that video playing your head, right? So that emotion is just, it's just more vibrant. It's, it's bigger for you. So I think that's why it's more important. And then I think with your last thing you said, like, I think the lyric videos are, you can never have bad content. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Anytime you can put out good quality content, which I think lyric videos can be, quality but i think at the end of the day they're not necessarily the vis visual aspect that i'm, I'm you know i don't know, you see some i guess i'm getting i'm rambling too but it's like some lyric videos they'll have like a video with it so i, I don't know man i think at the end of the day content wins if it's quality it's going to be great anything you can do to bring your song to life is going to you know help you propel to the next level honestly working in the music space for the camera has really ruined my concert experience as like a normal person because I'm so used to seeing start to finish, being with the artists before they come out, walking out, knowing what songs are coming, always being up in their face, either on stage with them, you know, hiding in a corner somewhere or a slash shot downstage or being in front or being in the audience. And I like really, really miss getting able to just see them in a detail and experience the song the way they want me to as like a normal person. So like I have to be front row <laughs> when I'm a normal person. Do you get that similar experience or... 
or tell me differently in, in a way that you've learned to appreciate it, even from the nosebleeds in a normal concert? Obviously, you, you, you hit it on the head. Like, we're spoiled now, like, being able to have the access to the, what we have and to being able to really be a part of the show in a, in a way. Um, but then again, it's like, you know, sometimes I just want to be a consumer of the show, right? Because, like, you know how it is from, you know, from sound check to, you know, getting ready to go on the stage to the end of the show. Like, you're on. Like, I, I remember, like, I've shot shows where, like, I don't even think I really and I could you can't even enjoy this the music because you're so focused on you know where do I get the next shot where do I need to position especially if you're like a one man show at a at a at a, a one man show at a show you know whatever but if you're running around like that like you're always on the move so like I enjoy just going to a show sometimes now and being in the back and just kind of like you know just seeing it all and actually understanding what all goes into it so. Again, like there's pros and cons of both of it for sure. Sometimes I've really realized I'm guilty of not being able to ever turn the filmmaker eye in me off in the sense that I'm constantly moving through the world, be it in my car, be it on foot on a walk with kind of this idea of I'm literally subconsciously seeing my world in camera shots. Does this ever happen to you? Yeah, 100 percent. Like I, I'll be, you know, driving down the interstate and I'll look off the side of the road and I'll see like. A very appealing place and man that would be a great backdrop for a shot like my mind is always thinking that way and even when i approach like projects sometimes like it's hard for me to really write a super accurate treatment if i haven't seen it right so whenever i get to a set that's when I, a lot of the ideas come to me right it's hard for me to really because ex- i'm probably the same with you like i don't necessarily have the and i don't think a lot of artists have it you know, scoped out in their head before they see it. Right. You kind of have to visually see it before you can make the call. Right. So, you know, like you said, I'll, you know, be driving down the road, see something, you know, try to picture all these amazing shots I could get, um, you know, at a football game, like that would be a great shot. So, you know, definitely my brain's always turning, trying to think of, you know, what could be some really cool camera shots to, to capture. So getting deep for a moment, I do not want to waste the significance of this moment of both of us sitting down here uh, in my living room in Franklin, living and breathing in the year 2020, which looks so different for so many people. And in my opinion, will potentially shape, whether that be negatively or positively, the trajectory of so much of our future as humans here on Earth for how long, I don't know, but it certainly is going to have a pretty major impact. So tell me about this year. What what has this year looked like for you? What were some highs? Maybe what were some lows of this year? Was there anything that was unexpected? I think going in, going into 2020, pre-corona, before we knew this, I knew that there was definitely a lot of, you know, opportunities that were hopefully going to present themselves. And I, and I, I wouldn't say by any means that, that was not reached, but there was definitely a lot of high hopes for this year. And, you know, from the get-go, things were definitely really taken off, really continuing to go on that, on that route. And then, you know, by the time March kind of hit, it was just a, everyone didn't know how to, you know, they didn't know what to do. They didn't, no one understood the whole, you know, COVID times, I guess you would say. And, um, you know, immediately all the weddings I had booked from like March to July were just all just either canceled or postponed or just delayed. But I think it was the best thing for me because I was running so hard from last year, still really trying to get caught up with my like just life. And I wasn't being a creative person, I guess is what you what I would call it. I was more just working. Right. 
I wasn't being an artist. And, you know, it gave me an opportunity over those two or three months to really just like get caught up on all my work, you know, get restructure my business, really understand what I wanted to do. And then, you know, by the grace of God, like I'm one of the very lucky ones that like when things kind of were able to start opening back up, like my business just really boomed and it honestly surpassed the goals that I even had for this year. Um, and I think it's just a testament to that people had more time to invest in, like I said earlier, invest into creating content for their business, whether it be an artist or, you know, you know, a business, whatever it may be, um, a company. Right. And, um, luckily people started realizing, Hey, like we can actually have a wedding. We can just do it a little bit smaller or whatever. So things started picking back up. Like I added, you know, to our team. So now we have more of a team under Welltel Media and not just me, you know, and they really started taking off and really growing as individual artists under what we're doing as umbrella. And, um, you know, I'm just very thankful. Like I was able to stay busy. I was able to also approach things with a new, you know, insight because I had that time off to be like, Hey, like we only were taking projects that we were good at. Like, Hey, like, you know, we're going to focus on our bread and butter and really succeed with that. And it kind of all fell into place for sure. What has this year meant for you and your girlfriend as you have not always been on the road constantly this year and, and hopefully, and it looks like at least from the Instagram cheap seats, you know, been able to spend a lot more time with her. I know you mentioned you've you know still been blessed to have such a big positive step forward with this year with your business and you've had a lot going on but i know you guys just celebrated your one year anniversary in november uh which means you hadn't quite gone through a full summer and full fall yet without corona in in air quotes in a normal you know in normal life and and for those that don't know typically fall and summer those are typically really big seasons for country music as it's really kind of our busy season of festivals and shows and there's always a lot going on um, with sponsors and everything else. But what has this year meant for y'all really getting the chance to spend more time together in the same city without you constantly being pulled away on a new project or a new city? The biggest thing, and like, you know, my girlfriend Paige, she's a rock star. Um, she is so supportive of what I'm doing that, you know, obviously she wants to have as much quality time together as possible. But if I have to tell her, hey, like, it's going to be, a night till I'm up till 4am working on stuff. Like I have deadlines, like, you know how it is. Like you have to get stuff done. Like she understands that and she'll never put me at fault. And I think the biggest blessing really was those three months that I kind of had just really nothing to do is that we were able to spend, you know, quarantine together, spend a lot of time together. And it really helped me grow as a person first. So whenever I kind of got back into the swing of things, obviously I've been running since July and I'm looking, looking forward to another little break, but I kind of had a better outlook on appreciating the little things of life. Hey, let, let's take a week to go on a trip and let's not even bring the camera. Like, let's just go have fun, like be a real person. And that way, whenever I go back to, to work, I have a better outlook on, on what I'm trying to accomplish. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, or what I'm trying to say is like, she's really helped me grow as a person and helped me grow as a, as a creator to understand that there's differences between work and life and just having that work life balance. As a creative person, what are the things or hobbies in your life that you have found have allowed you to, you know, constantly stay fresh and, and step away from constantly being stressed or anxious or always having your mind on work? What what are those things that we can learn from you? It's kind of actually crazy to say that. Um, my dude, my biggest hobby that it's like my 
step away from work is playing golf, dude. Like I started picking it up probably, probably, I guess this year, really, um, quarantine, whenever I had all this free time, I would, you know, for the last six, seven months, I've tried to go at least once, once a week. And that's just been for me, the one place I can go to get my mind off of everything. I put my phone away. I don't think about, you know, work. I don't think about any outside, you know, factor. And I just can really focus on just being outside, competing, having fun. And that's been truly, you know, kind of my therapy in a way to just regroup and just really get back on track. That way, whenever I get back to work, I have a clear mind and I'm ready to go. As a former competitive athlete, has that mindset given you more frustration and grief in the game of golf? Or have you been able to turn it off and really stay patient? Because much like being a pitcher in baseball, I feel like the game of golf is 100% a game of small adjustments that make really big impacts on the end result. So I'm just curious, has it been super frustrating to you? Or have you been able to, in your head, brand this as, hey, Wales, this is just a hobby. It's, it's not the end of the world. Because I know for me, I have to take golf super seriously as much as I wish I I could just have a beer and have fun. I'm always on that competitive edge. Yeah, I I guess I'm also, I don't know. I don't get frustrated with golf. I'm not that great by any means. So I think I, it's the patience for me because I know, hey, like I'm not going to be a pro golfer, right? So if I go out there and I shank a drive or if I miss a putt, like that's okay. I'm The reason I'm there is to have fun and to have a good time. So I guess it's really taught me the patience to like, you know, don't get upset. But on the flip side, I'm a very competitive person and I do get very frustrated. And it's easy for me to be like, why am I not better at this? And I want to work hard at it. Um, and that's the thing. It's like having that balance of like, don't get upset. It's just a game, but also I want to be competitive. I want to get better. And that's just my natural, you know, competitive competitiveness coming out. Transitioning back into the business side of things, do you feel like what you're doing now with Whale's Tale and the whole idea of being a filmmaker is a forever thing for you in your life? Or do you feel like this is simply going to be remembered as a really major part of your life that helped you evolve past your identity and future as a baseball player? Yeah, I mean, I sure hope so. <laughs> I hope it's forever. Um, and then like, again, like it's, I really haven't, thought it out like I, I try to live in the moment I obviously want to plan and I, I want to make you know the right smart decisions for my life but I'm just thankful for where I'm at because I never even envision envisioned having where I'm, the job I have today and like my biggest thing is like I want to do whatever I love and I love what I'm doing now I don't feel like I ever have to work I don't feel like I have to go to a job every day I more so just put in the work because I love doing it And as long as I'm doing that, I feel like I'll be happy. I don't know what that looks like in 20 years. You know, I may be selling cars. Who knows? But, you know, right now, we know my passion is is creating and directing and, you know, doing that. And I really don't see it changing. I I honestly seeing it growing to more opportunities, whether that be growing the business or just me growing with the projects I work on. And, you know, I don't I don't necessarily know what the next, you know, venture looks like but i know it's something in this realm i hope i hope so at least at least as long as people continue to give me opportunities and trust me to bring their vision to life and you know keep creating for them um because without them like i none of this would have happened like that's the thing the crazy thing is like you can create all day and you could be the best at it but if no one 
from the outside looking in and invests in you and believes in you, like you're not going to be able to do it as a career. Right. So I'm just thankful people have believed in me, invested into me to allow me to do this as a, as a career. I think one of the biggest challenges about doing what we do is that it's not a very multitask friendly profession. And really kind of what I mean by that is, you know, when we're out with an artist filming a show or a music video, that means we're not back home working on developing, growing our business. We're not sitting on social media, posting new content or refreshing our website and making sure things are looking good. You know, we're wearing so many hats and, and we're 100% focused on being behind the camera or editing a piece of content for the client and nothing else. So talk to me about how you've been able to be both the CEO, you know, kind of the highest position in your company and stereotypically what many people would say is the camera guy is kind of the lowest guy on the totem pole. Because I will tell you, it seems like you're doing this really, really well. And I would love to learn from you. And I know whatever perspective you're going to share is going to be really helpful to, you know, not only me, but our listeners of this episode today. You've been able to develop this brand for Whale's Tale with some really neat merch I've seen, um, with being a part of what's going on at Live Oaks on Tuesday nights here in Nashville. But you're also able to put out some really, really great content behind the camera. So talk to me how you balance that. I mean, when you're when you run a small business, you, you do every part of the job and you're going to work a lot of hours and you have to be OK with working a lot of hours. And I guess the easiest answer to your question is like you're going to have to do things that you don't want to do sometimes. And there's going to be sacrifices you have to make. Again, on the flip side, like I just hit earlier is like I did have to also take a step back and realize like sometimes it make the sacrifice in the other way. Like maybe you have to make the sacrifice that, hey, like your business might not have the opportunity for that and you need to spend time with, you know, your girlfriend or your family or whatever that may be. But when you're trying to run and grow so fast, like you have to do things that you may not want to do. Like, Hey, like I may have to, you know, like today, like, Hey, I'm going to come out, do a podcast, have a good time, talk about something that's going to be great for, you know, for you, for me, whatever. And I'm also going to go, you know, do some editing. I'm going to go work on training and getting better at my new camera. I just got, and like tonight I'll probably edit some more. Like that's going to be a full day. And like, yeah, would I rather sit inside and play call of duty? Like, yeah, probably. But I know that my business is going to suffer if I don't take those steps. Right. So you'd really just have to like suck it up sometimes. And Hey, like you may be out shooting all day, but you know, you got two other projects, three other projects that you got to finish by the end of the week. You know, you might have to work on them till you know, till midnight that night and, and get some work done. So it's all about making sacrifices and really just finding time. Because, like, my excuse sometimes is, like, I just don't have time. But at the end of the day, there's always time. You just have to, to make the time. Do you feel like if you never would have been injured and forced to quit baseball that you would have ever picked up a camera from a I'm going to make money and dream about having a business perspective? Absolutely not. I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, that's, there's not even more to the question. I know that, like, I guess deep down it was always in there, but I never, that spark would have never been there for me to really dive deep into it. Does that ever, I don't want to say blow your mind because that's like a cheap saying, but I, I, I think a lot about, and I've talked about this in past episodes, but like, I think a lot about, like, what if LeBron James had never picked up a basketball? What if, you know, Gary and Charlie had never picked up a guitar? Right. Or, so how do you feel like we we balance and, and sometimes, you know, your life, your testimony, your life story is a testament to this. If sometimes life forces us or God really forces us to change directions with our life. But how do we balance 
pursuing things that we're passionate about, but also quieting that like, what if I'm actually good at something that I've never tried? Or what if I, like I've had this thought and it it hasn't given me personally anxiety, but it's been more of just a food for thought thing. Whereas I think some people may give anxiety, but I'm like, what if I pick up something at 53 that all of a sudden I realize, whoa, I could have really done something with, with this in my life. So how, how are you able to, and again, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. How are you able to balance being happy with what you're doing? And obviously you're extremely talented to it. I look up to you in it, but also balance like, not always drifting to maybe there's something else or being pulled away in a different direction. Well, I, for, I appreciate that, man. Um, but no, I, I think it's really just always be willing to try new things. You know, like when I first started doing this stuff, like I thought photography was what I wanted to do. And, and I quickly realized by just tr- trying to make a video that videography was really more of what I wanted to do. Like I still do photography, of course, but like, I was always wanting to try new things. Like I've even started doing graphic design sometimes. And I'm like, you know, anything that I can do that's a creative outlet, it's kind of what I gravitate towards. And my biggest thing, you know, to someone that maybe they're not happy with the job they're in right now, or maybe they feel stagnant, like, Hey, like go, go try something, go do a hobby, do something that you would never think about doing. I'm not saying go pick up a camera like if you don't want to, but like go do something and get, you know, really invest your time into it and, and see if that's something that you love to do. And if you love to do it, keep doing it. Like, don't stop. And, you know, because you never know the, you know, the possibilities of what can come from just trying new things. What do you feel like is your biggest challenge? Like, what what do you feel like is the thing or things, be it something actually physically in the world? Obviously, your, can't, your answer can't be Corona because that's all of us. But, uh, you know, what's that thing or things that is keeping you from from getting the business to where you want to go yeah i i think my biggest challenge and this is like probably my biggest fear i would say is just it's becoming stagnant is not challenging myself to grow like i'm scared i'm so terrified of not growing in a creative way right because i i I don't want you know clients come to me and like they're having the same product given to them three four or five years from what they have today like i need to find a way to be able to keep growing, keep innovating, changing what I'm doing because there's everyone else is getting better too. Right. So if all, if the whole entire industry is getting better and learning and growing with technology, if I'm not doing that, I'm going to get left behind. Right. So my biggest challenge is, is waking up every day and knowing, Hey, I got a lot of work to do, but I also have to find a way to get better at what I'm doing now. Just because business is great now doesn't mean it's going to be great next year. Someone else is ready to take that business too. Right. So I have to always wake up, be eager to to grow, find a new way, and um, just keep growing. I know this is another kind of loaded question, but where do you feel like you draw inspiration from? Because I think you made me think of it when you said that in your last answer just now, talking about like, you know, everyone, we well, didn't directly say, but this is what we think of is there are sometimes someone goes out and they parade maybe a look and feel out or a certain camera angle or a lighting setup. And then now you're having clients come to you and say, I want that. And you're like, you have to somewhat balance. I feel like of, of doing the client justice of saying, yes, that's really cool. And we can make a version of that looks like you, but that's not your identity. Like I think about, I think it was last year really that like the whole VHS look really popped off and like everybody was doing VHS something and not that it was bad, but it was just like as a consumer of media from the viewer side, it got kind of old. It was like, okay, well, everyone has this look. So where are you drawing inspiration 
from? Is it movies? Is it other music videos? Do you even watch other people's videos? Is it purely relying on your clients? Is it all the above? Is it none of the above? Where do you get inspired? I think this is a important for, you know, if anyone's listening as a creator or anything, like you don't want to be another version of someone else ever in art because they're going to be better at their own version than you are at their version, right? So for me personally, obviously I have lots of inspiration. You know, I follow a lot of people on Instagram. Um, I remember one of the first like photographers I ever looked up to was a guy named Rob Stroke. I don't know if you know this. He's a big like outdoor nature photographer. And like, I just love the way he was able to capture colors and, you know, able to, his videos were just very simple, but they were very cinematic. And I, that was just, I knew from the get go that I, that's the look I wanted, I wanted to have. Right. I don't even, I don't even watch his stuff anymore. Really. I, I, cause I, cause I've gravitated towards my own, my own style and I'll be the first one to say is like, I don't watch other wedding videos. I don't really, I mean, I will watch some other music videos as a consumer, not, not as like to, to copy anyone. It's always good to get inspiration, but like, I don't really watch a lot of other stuff because I don't want to be a, a copycat, I guess as you would, you would say. And, you know, there's always in the fine line, it's like, you're not copying, but you're, you know, you're picking up your new things and learning from it. So it's like, Hey, like, like, for example, like back when the, the zoom transition was a huge thing, like, man, I was doing the zoom left and right on everything. And I was like, why am I doing this? Like, I'm not, this is not, this is so easy to do. You just throw a little filter and they're like, let me get better at something that not everyone can just plug in and play. Right. So like to any creator, it's like, Hey, like try to figure out what you like, you know, get your inspiration. It's nothing wrong with like getting inspiration from other people, but, but try to make it your own, you know, because that's how you're going to stand out. If you, you want to get to a point where you watch a video and like an outsider watches a video and they're like, that's well, well shot that video. I know that was his look. He didn't, sh- you didn't shoot that. Like my dad will all the time, he'll text and be like, you shot this video, didn't you? And I, and I, I never even sent it to him. He, Cause he just knows that like, that's my style. It's a super cinematic. Like that's the kind of way I try to approach things. And that's the way I think any creator should look at, you know, how they create is, Hey, like get your inspiration, but make it your own and really dive into creating that you know personal touch to make it different from everyone else do you feel like you will always be behind the camera or will there be a day in whale cell media where whales is no longer behind the camera yeah dude and like it's crazy to say that because like i'm definitely starting to have some opportunities where that you know the director side of things where it's a bigger production like i'm necessarily may not be the person behind the camera and like deep down it kind of hurts to even think about that because I love every aspect of creating a, a project and, and creating a product. And for me giving away that, you know, feeling of being behind the camera and knowing how to get the shot, like it's, it's tough, but it's also like, Hey, like I know the next step for where I want to go is these bigger projects and these bigger productions. And as a director role, like sometimes I may have to take a step back and let someone else do what they do because at the end of the day, if they do what they do, they're probably one of the best at what they do for, you know, if I go get someone that's going to be behind the camera. Right. And, um, I think it's just like, you know, taking a step back and realizing that if you want to grow, you have to do that. Even with my business, like, you know, hiring new people, it's, it was tough to give away other, you know, you know, duties of, of the job to someone else. Like, Hey, like I made think I'm the best at running our social media, but like I need to spend my time, you know, 
filming and editing and growing the business. So like, let someone else take care of that responsibility. You know, let someone else take care of the emails, you know, the admin stuff. Like it's hard to give that up, but my job has been so much easier. I can focus on, focus on what I do best even more having given up those responsibilities. So it's more for me, it's like, Hey, take the risk sometimes. Like it may not be what you think is best, but to be able to keep growing, you have to take those steps to, to get in that right direction. So what have you learned as a, as a filmmaker that you believe in this journey that you're able to carry through you to help you in that process to be a better DP or, or to grow and be a better person? I've been able to do every part of the job. Cause like, I'll see a lot of people like they can go start working on a big production set right away, but they haven't even done their own projects to know, Hey, this is how to properly light it. This is how to, you know, color it. This is how to edit it. This is how to direct it. This is how to film. Like this is the right lens to shoot on. Like, so it's like, okay, like they're going to step in just to light a project, but to do everything, which as a director really kind of needs to know, you know, they're not going to be well-versed and all that. So I think me knowing at least every bit of it, it's going to help me get there. Another thing is like a lot of the time is like, we're working on like minimal budgets. Right. So it's like, Hey, how can we get the best out of what we're working with? So honestly, it's like, Hey, like here's extra money to work on something. That's just like a, you know, a freaking blessing to be like, okay, now we can actually use the tools to do it way easier. And I can allow, have someone that knows how to use these tools, help me. It's just going to take the production value and level, you know, up tremendously. How much has being kind of the wear all the hats guy helped you be a better person behind the camera in the sense that because you're also the guy that's filming, but you're also the guy that's editing, I think there's a unique perspective that a lot of up and coming uh, camera people really miss because they're so used to kind of getting their footage and then dumping it to the client or dumping it to the the editor's bin or even kind of this year has been challenging for me working on you know, just kind of having saying yes to anything that comes my way just from purely trying to survive financially. So I've done a lot of ghost editing for some bigger artists, but it's the first time in my life where I'm getting all this footage for like a big project that I had no hand in. So it's like, I don't know what's on here. I don't know if the frame rates are right. I don't even know if I necessarily even agree with, you know, what we we're talking about even before we press record of agreeing with kind of the stylistic selections and not that it's my job. But when it comes to editing and you're really kind of making the project come to life is like, I'm so used to being in my style that I want to see this or I want to feel this in the verse, but in this and the chorus and this in the bridge. So how has an editor or being that guy, and I know this is kind of somewhat a similar question, but I just want to ask you, because I think a lot of camera people will listen to this episode. How has that helped you be better behind the camera in the moment, knowing of you kind of know the steps of what's got to happen or knowing what translate and what doesn't. Cause I think sometimes as filmmakers, we see something on our little screen or on a monitor for running like Atmos and we're like, Oh, this looks so cool. But then it never translates to the big screen or for whatever reason, it just, there's a miss there. It's the disconnect for, from, you know, the filmer or filmmaker to the editor. If you don't have, if you're not doing both, right. For me, it's so hard to give up a project that I directed and filmed and I knew Cause like a lot of times I'll approach a project and I'm like, this shot leads into this shot. And like, I'm already editing it in my head before I even, you know, have got to the editing room. Right. So it's like for me to give that footage to someone and tell them like it's nine times out of 10 is not going to probably look the way I want it to. Right. So it's like, for me understanding that the vision I have from the get go is what I want to have the end, end product. That's why for me, it's, it's hard for me to give up that, 
you know, editing part of it. Of course, I mean, sometimes you can't do it all. And like you said, like I'll have people sometimes like want to give me footage and tell me to edit it. And I'm like, I'll put it together, but like, I don't, whoever was filming this, I don't know what they were trying to accomplish. Right. So like it's that disconnect. It's hard sometimes to really connect all the dots. And that's why like, I'm a firm believer in like, you know, if you can edit your own stuff and, you know, really tell the story the way you want to tell the story. So I want to ask you one more question before then I ask you the final question, but if you could go back and give yourself any advice and this is from the perspective, I know there's going to be some up and coming creative people listening to this podcast episode. Like, what what would you tell yourself? It's going to be something way off the rails of anything to do with the creating side of things, but it's just going to be learn how to say no and learn how to pick and choose the right times to work. Um, last year, I almost got to a point where I was burned out from from working, right? And like I said, like thankful to the, you know, thankfully, like I said, Corona happened, like I was able to have that understanding, like, Hey, like take some time for yourself too. And my biggest advice to, you know, me starting over or even me in the future. And it's still something I struggle with is take the time for yourself. Like take the mental breaks, you know, just because there's work to be done doesn't mean it needs to be done right now. Like let yourself refresh and let yourself be the best version you can be when you go to do the, the creating you have to do. I really was awoken to, and I feel like a lot of people in our space on the, on the film side, they know this, but I think a lot of artists and creative management companies and stuff don't really realize the toll that going on tour or shooting a bunch of content back to back takes on us as a film, like just physically, like much less emotionally or mentally. Like I was listening to a podcast with um, a filmmaker named Brock Bentley and he was on a tour with um, Timmy the trumpet. Who's like an EDM artist but I've also listened to stuff from uh, stuff like Rory and some other people who have worked in kind of that EDM space. And I don't think country music is as bad. Um, just the way that shows are played at a more kind of normal hour, you're getting, you know, your artist or your client off stage sooner versus, you know, headline EDM people are rolling out at one, two o'clock in the morning, wherever they are in the world. And then they're getting on a plane immediately and flying somewhere else. And then doing another set of, he talked about like he had to literally, step off of tour because it was he's either like i'm probably gonna die or you know i've got to quit and take some time and it's just punishing because people don't realize i mean even in country music like you're if you're working for the, the headline artist you're the last to go that night you're shooting the content and then we live in this crazy world now where the recap video you've got to come out the next day or else it's old news if you're on someone that's doing a multi-city state it's like the fans that experienced, you know, the Nashville show don't want to wait five days or from an artist perspective, the artist doesn't want to post the Nashville content when now they're all the way in Chicago or it's not relevant because we live in this so like just in time, in real time media world. Well, there's someone behind that making it. And, you know, with a lot of the way budgets are going, you don't have, you know, a, can- a photo person, a video person and an editor or much less the space on the bus to do that. So it's like you're the guy and it's like the artist goes to sleep, the production people go to sleep. Who's the one up editing you? And then it's like a new day, new city, and it starts again. So how do you feel like, and again, I know this is like the million dollar question. It probably looks different for everybody, but how, what have you learned in that season of feeling like you almost got burned out? Like what were those things practically you had to step back or you, or you learned about, Hey, I need to do this because you failed at it. And, and what can you share with those people of avoiding burnout? You just kind of have to understand that you you don't want to bite off more than you can chew. Right. So, you know, 
rewind back to last year whenever I was just kind of going too hard. Cause I can't speak too much on the road life of like a touring because I haven't done too much of that in terms of like a constant grind of that. But for me, it looked more like, hey, okay, you have a music video shoot on a Tuesday and a Wednesday, and then you're driving from Nashville to Charleston, South Carolina on a Thursday, which is a you know nine hour drive, and you have a wedding all day on Friday, and then you have a wedding all day on Saturday, and then you're driving back on Sunday, and then next thing you know, you have five projects that you haven't edited, and you have another shoot on Tuesday. Where are you going to find the time to edit all of this, right? So looking back at it, you probably should have said no to a couple of those things, right? You probably should have realized, hey, I don't even have enough time in the day to do all of this because at the end of the day, I, like you said, things have to get done quick. There's deadlines. You know, you can't have people waiting, you know, a year to get a project back, right? So it's like, and I was having to do it. It just wasn't sleeping. I was getting tired of, I was getting so frustrated with having to work that I just needed time to relax and I, and I couldn't afford to do it because I agreed to do all of it. Right. And you know how it is. If you agree to do it, you're going to have to do it. Right. So my biggest thing is like, you just got to learn to say no sometimes or, or pick, pick and choose the right things. And it's so hard because if you're growing a business and you know, sometimes how hard it is to get opportunities, you're so thankful for the opportunity. It's hard to say no, so for me, it was just learning and understanding. Don't bite off more than you can chew and really being real with yourself to say, hey, like maybe it's smarter for me to bring on someone else to take off the load. I may make less money, but we can still, you know, take on these projects, but it just won't be me personally doing it. I've really had to learn like weddings, for example. I, I really don't enjoy them. Um, and it's, it's hard for me not to want to do them because I get asked all the time. And if I do, I'm always like, go to Wales. Uh, but cause there's so much value in, in such a high ticket thing of as a business being able to scale, but I've just had to learn, like I reached a burnout point previously and it was because I had all these projects that I hated and I don't want to ever hate my work and I don't want the clients to know that I hate my work. Cause no one, you know, I, it's such a big honor for me, for an artist, for a couple, for a business to say, Hey, we want you to uniquely capture it. But it got to the point where I was like, I hate this work. Like, I just want to get it out. I'm not doing my best work. I'm like cutting quarters on the edits. Like, just get it out. Like, normally I'd be, you know, looking through all the footage, being sure I get all the angles. I'm like, just the first thing I see, get it out. And it's such a dangerous point as a creator because you said it perfectly. Like, you have to learn where to say yes to and where to say no. And I don't think that you could listen to Wales or I sit here and quarterback it, you know, from the cheap seats for you. It's something you have to kind of personally learn, like, where are my yeses, where are my noes based on what are you passionate about? It kind of goes back to even what you talked about earlier in the episode of, you know, learning there, Hey, there are some projects, especially starting out where you need to do it for free because you get more work of what you show. So if you're stuck in the wedding space, right? And I want to say stuck, but you're in the wedding space right now. And you're like, man, after listening to this episode, I really want to do the music thing. I know there may be some artists, but when you get to the artist, you probably want to work with, no one's going to look at a wedding video and be like, Hmm, that translates to a really cool, music video like this guy like yeah you can see like wells's style and the cinematography and how he brings it all together and how he tells the story and that's great but like if you're sitting with thomas rett he doesn't want to look at a wedding video he wants to look at another music video and so you're gonna have to make that decision and that that applies to anything be it you want to get into shooting outdoor content you want to get into sports content you want to get in working with models you want to work with boutiques whatever is like what you show is what you get and that was an important lesson i had to learn as a creator was I was posting one thing on my social media because that was the work I was getting. And I was so frustrated because I was never getting hit up by, 
you know, someone else. And that was because, well, that's not the work I'm showing. And so sometimes I'm at a point now where like this year I've had to say yes to some projects and I never post it because I'm like, I don't want someone else to see this and think, ooh, he would be great for this. And that's such a weird thing to say, but that's just a long-winded answer if I just want to tack onto that. So if you have anything to add, you can. No, you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, I don't I don't have anything else different to say because I think you hit it on the head. Um, you know, whatever you mark, market yourself as your work, that's the work you're going to get <laughs> reached out about. You know, that's why, like, you know, I still try to post a variety of stuff because I don't want to lose the wedding business. I don't want to lose the music business. Yeah. Maybe people want to see more of the music stuff, but at the end of the day, I know a main majority of not majority, but a big part of our business is the wedding stuff. So, you know, couples that want to book me for a wedding or book well tell media for a wedding, they want to see our wedding videos. Right. So it's like, Hey, like finding that fine balance and really just realizing, Hey, like I may be shooting a lot of weddings right now, you know, Joe Schmo who wants to create, you know, music videos or, or he wants to shoot football videos. Hey, hit up your high school and say, Hey, I want to come do a football video for the high school team. I don't even care about charging and then put that out there. And that's your portfolio now and keep growing. And like, that's how you're able to um, get the business that you want to have and, and not necessarily do the work that you're tired of and don't want to do. Amazing episode i'm super excited to have you I've, I've wanted to have you on forever uh just because again i look up to you i think you're an incredibly gifted filmmaker you are one of the best that i've seen that's our age our stage in life best in business in the sense that you truly are able to balance being a filmmaker but you're also smart enough and have the vision to say this is where we need to grow as a brand and so I was selfishly asking a lot of these questions just because I was like, I, I'm going to learn from Wales. The last question I'll ask you, and it's the last question that every guest gets on the show, if you've been listening, you know, uh, is you're on the No More Zero Days podcast. A zero day is where you get nothing done towards accomplishing your goal or dream. And I feel like for so many of us, we live between either is today a, a hundred day or is today a zero day, meaning is today I'm going to do everything right. I'm going to stay on my diet. I'm going to work out. I'm going to crush the edit. Or is it... Uh, I'm just going to go to Taco Bell, eat whatever, play Call of Duty and get nothing done. And I used to kind of live in that mentality of either like, I'm going to crush it or I'm going to not. And then as I got older and I got more work, I really realized like, that's really dangerous to live in kind of that all on or off mentality because there are some days where you can kind of balance both of, okay, we're going to move this edit forward. We're going to get it to the client and we may not, you know, hit our workout goal or we may not hit this goal. But as long as we're moving it forward, that if you look across like a week, you're like, wow, like I have a lot of little wins and then, you know, that week turns into months and then all of a sudden you can look back and be like, wow, I really moved the ball forward versus this like go through a week where nothing happens and go through a week where everything happens. And I, and I personally got caught and missed deadlines or clients are all of a sudden emailing me on Friday afternoon being like, you said by end of week, where is it? And it's because I wasted or I went and hung out with friends or did something or, you know, even I had to cut down on drinking because I, you know, I would just be in a bad mood or not in a mood to create or edit. And all of a sudden days would go by and you're like, oh shoot, like this is due today. I haven't even started. So what advice, if you want to do it creatively, if you want to do it on a personal level, if you want to do it on all the above, what advice would you give to someone who's stuck in that zero day mentality where they're looking at something, be it they don't have the right gear that they want, be it they don't have the right clients they want, like we just talked about, that it is stuck on the other side of the zero day mentality, that there's something in front of them that's keeping them from chasing their, their goal or dreams, whether it truly is just 
all in their head or there's something actually corona there's something out in the world that's preventing them from accomplishing their goal yeah well first of all i appreciate all the kind words i think you're super talented yourself man it's been an honor uh being on here and chatting it up about on all this stuff it's it's cool to take a step back and you know talk talk about everything and not just be in the mindset of work work, work all the time um but yeah dude i i think i'm gonna have two different answers for for your question um the way i approach the first half of what you're asking the way I try to approach my days now for the, you know, the zero days, a hundred days is like when you work for yourself or your creator and you're self-employed, I guess you would say it's hard to know when to turn it off or when to turn it on. So the way I try to approach it is don't take that luxury too much to not work enough. It's cause no, there's no boss telling you, Hey, you have to get to work. So I'm not going to abuse that privilege to just not work. But I'm also not going to, in a negative way, work too much where there's a boss telling you, hey, it's time to go home. So it's like you kind of have to realize, hey, like if I was working a nine to five job or whatever, like, yeah, like, hey, I'm going to go to work nine to five. And then, you know, that night I'm going to hang out with, you know, friends or family or whatever and try to still find that balance. A lot of times it's kind of hard sometimes because there's deadlines and a lot of stuff goes back to what I was saying earlier. Sometimes you just can't do more work than you can really achieve. And then like my, the next thing I would say to anyone that thinks that there's, you know, roadblocks is at the end of the day, other than, you know, Corona or something that's like out of your control, like you can always create, you can always do something to challenge yourself. Like I said, at the beginning of the episode, like when I first started doing it, I was literally taking pictures on my iPhone, like get out there, do something. You can only have to leave your house if you don't care. And like, don't be a, another thing. Don't be afraid to put your work out there. Don't be afraid to put your artwork out there. Cause if you're going to try to, if you're a beginner and you're saying, Oh, like my work's not necessarily on the level of what Eric's doing or what Wells is doing. Like, I don't even, I don't, I'm embarrassed to put it out there. Like, dude, that that's going to show your, your growth. If you do like look back at my Instagram from, and that's why I've never deleted anything. Cause I want to look back one day and be like, man, that's where I started at. And this is where I am now. So my biggest challenge to anyone is like, hey, like, don't be afraid to put your work out there. Even if it's a picture you took of your water bottle on your table, like whatever you want to take pictures of or make a video of, do it, put it out there, challenge yourself, see what people have to say about it. People might not care. A lot of times people probably won't care. But as long as you're challenging yourself to get better, put it out there, be vulnerable with your art that's going to be the next step for you to achieving the goals you want to have. 